0: Take something iconic, like the all-electric 2024
3: Fiat 500e. Add something electrica. Bring the swagger. And an Italian icon is remixed and ready to drop with its available premium JBL audio system. Tap the banner to learn more. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA,
1: used under license by FCA US LLC. and welcome to episode 64 of the Olive Magazine podcast with me, Laura Rowe, the editor and your host for this week. This week I've been recovering from Wilderness Festival, which wins the crown for the most foodie festival I've ever been to. Think fine dining supper clubs, yurt feasts and gourmet street food. I grabbed the ridiculously young and talented Michelin-starred chef Tommy Banks at the Black Swan at Oldstead after he cooked us a slap-up seven-course lunch. Food director Janine visited online ingredient specialists souschef.co.uk and found out how they sourced their incredible stock what ingredients have exploded in the last year and some cooking trend predictions for the future Plus, if you're the kind of camper who's more concerned with packing a quartz than a cagoule listen in to travel editor Rhiannon as she takes us on a tour of the French campsite that comes with its own vineyard First up, here's Chef Tommy Banks and I on a grassy knoll in Oxfordshire overlooking a sparkling lake with tinnies of cider by our sides Hello, this is Laura, and I'm at Wilderness Festival with Tommy Banks. Hello. Hello, and you cooked us an absolutely gorgeous lunch yesterday, didn't you?
2: Yeah, we were cooking on the chef's table yesterday. So much fun. Uh, did four sittings of 24 people so about 100 covers all day Yeah. Uh, and yeah it was just great fun cooking yeah. nice food great atmosphere and yeah just a bit of a party
1: yeah we couldn't quite believe how you managed to do such intricate food such uh, delicate food in a field so how did you manage to do all of that
2: uh, quite a lot of preparation Yeah. Uh, been working hard we were up early yesterday morning yeah. um, and I think you've just got to be Clever and write a menu that works for the for the setting, but it certainly you came at lunchtime, which was was nice and chill It was <laughs> yeah. all about the food at lunchtime. Yeah. When we got into the evening, it turned into a bit of a party. We had people dancing on the tables. <laughs> we had we had, a, we had a pole dancer in the middle of the room. It was it was pretty fun to be honest.
1: <laughs> Good going. Well, for the listeners that aren't aware of you, which I can't believe there would be any, but can you give us a bit of a background about your career and about the Black Swan as well?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm a chef. I um, have a restaurant in North Yorkshire called yeah. the Black Swan. Yeah, uh, which I run my family. And it's largely centered around uh, sort of the ideas of self sufficiency, really. Uh, okay. We grow our own vegetables and uh, do a lot of foraging and yeah, just trying to keep it nice. Yeah,
1: so I think I saw that. Were you celebrating 10 years at the restaurant? Uh,
2: 11 years 11 now, now, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was, um, I'm 28 now, so I was 17 okay. when we took it over. Wow, okay. Um, so yeah, it wasn't great back then though. So me, and my, my brother's two years older. James, he runs okay. the front of house. Okay. And uh, yeah, when we first took over, we mainly had lock-ins and parties and had yeah. a great time. It's a little bit like coming to a cooking in a festival really every yeah. night. Uh, but it wasn't great. And uh, yeah, we've got our heads down now and it's it's a lot better.
1: So have you been in the kitchen ever since you were seventeen? Or yeah, yeah, yeah? pretty much. And so you're a self-taught chef. Um,
2: I don't really know what that means. <laughs> uh, people say. I mean, I didn't go to college. I haven't worked in any of the restaurants or yeah. anything like that. Um, but I feel like I learn, you learn from everybody you meet, don't you? Yeah. So I always think it's quite an odd thing to do, is to claim to be self-taught. Like, yeah. like you've been locked in some room and, <laughs> and suddenly all these epiphanies have happened to you and you've learned how to cook. I mean, in reality, you've read it in a book or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. So how's it evolved over the 11 years?
2: Uh, well, you very much started as a, as a pub. Um, pretty ropey one, to be honest. Uh, but then when the recession came along, uh, no one really wants to come to a, a ropey pub. So I think yeah. in like 2008, we sort of thought, let's try and make this a bit bit better. Uh, Making it more of a destination because yeah. that's what we had to do because we're really in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and then it's just really evolved from just trying to make <laughs> make nice food, you know, trying to work really hard and trying to make it good. Yeah. That was, that was the only real goal. I mean, we didn't know what, like, Michelin stars were and things like that when we started out. Anyway, we had no idea, so we just kind of learned as we went.
1: Okay, nice. And so have you got um, a freeholding, uh, did I understand, where you grow all your vegetables and herbs and things like that? Or, yeah. Or so, a big I mean, garden?
2: I come from a farming background. My dad's still a farmer. And uh, we've got a couple of acres at the back of the restaurant where we grow pretty much all the vegetables mm-hmm. to the restaurant. And then... A few more acres down my dad's farm where we grow some like big crops like potatoes and stuff like that where we get okay. a tractor on. So, yeah, a lot of growing space.
1: Yeah. And so do, are there any flavours or dishes that you think particularly define the restaurant or your style uh, of cooking?
2: Yeah. I mean, we obviously, we do a lot of foraging and stuff. There's a lot of preserving, so there's a lot of the uh, ingredients that we'll use all year round. Yeah. Um, but probably like a bit of a signature dish in the restaurant is a beetroot dish. Okay. Um, it's a beetroot that we cook in beef fat.
1: Yes, so I've heard kind of, about this. It sounds yeah, amazing.
2: It's kind of like an irony. So like, you would think nothing of getting a beef steak and cooking it in some vegetable. Put a little oil in a pan and cook it. Yeah, so yeah. the idea is we, we slowly cook this beetroot for like four hours. Wow. And it whistens up. It gets really sweet and smoky and meaty and just like really delicious. So it's like a... Like meat root, basically. Yeah, So that's, like, that. one of our signature dishes.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, it was interesting you saying about the foraging and the kind of preserving and pickling. We had some incredible bits in the menu yesterday. We had, uh, was it wild garlic buds we had that you yeah. preserved as well? And we had uh, some unripe strawberries in yeah. a razor clam dish. Really, really cool. Where do you get your inspiration from? Is it the land? Is it the uh, farm? Or?
2: Little bits of things. I mean, to the first thing you ate yesterday was practically a kebab, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just some really nice, uh, slow-roasted lamb breast, um... With fermented turnips which I love I just love that really acidity good, yeah. from fermented uh, vegetables and then some uh, pickled wild garlic seeds which anybody should do that they're so easy like after the wild garlic flowers just go pick the little seed pods off yeah. and if you pickle those they're like the ultimate caper they're Like they're so punchy you could have them in like salads or with like charcuterie or something like mm. that or in a kebab
1: really really good we really enjoyed those okay what about people or um, do any of those do you have any chefs that you've worked with over the years that have inspired you in your cooking uh,
2: well Not working with so much. I mean, uh, because I've largely worked on on my own, but I mean, uh, the guys I work with every day are are pretty inspirational. We have have sort of like a little family. It's a bit of a hub, and uh, we kind of bounce all the ideas around. So, so, yeah, so I guess the guys I work with every day, I suppose, more than anything.
1: What's it like working with your family? Because it's kind of intense enough sometimes uh, seeing your family at Christmas and things like that, but having to work with them every single day Day in, day out, yeah. in a high pressure job like being a chef in a kitchen, what's
2: that like? We actually had our first Christmas off this year in oh, like really 10 are. years, yeah, and it was incredibly stressful. Yeah. Uh, I think like, <laughs> all of us thought we'd rather just have worked. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's all about when we all have our sort of roles, you see. So James is front of house, I do the okay. kitchen. Yeah. Uh, my dad does all sort of like growing and, and that, and he's the handyman who fixes everything, he's like the yeah. go to guy. And then my mum's, uh, well, she works quite a bit in the restaurant, she's a good okay. hostess. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, uh, the rooms, the bedrooms, she does the accommodation okay. of things. so we have our own sort of disciplines we we'll largely get on pretty well really yeah. but I suppose the great thing about family is you don't have to pussyfoot foot around each other yeah. so you can be pretty blunt <laughs> Yeah. And you can tell, yeah, if you don't have something you say and, and you can kind of you don't hold grudges you know? Yeah,
1: yeah exactly so what's it been like being at Wilderness, this is your first year this yeah,
2: year? Yeah, this is my first ever festival Is it? So wow, like, well, yeah, baptism of fire Exactly, so yeah. it's been amazing, I had so much fun uh, obviously we were grafting yesterday that was uh 16 hours of really like hard work, but yep. it's mean, so much fun. The guests were so lovely, everyone's yep. in such a cool, such a nice vibe, everyone's in such a good atmosphere. And, and like, like I say, the last sort of sitting we had last night, everyone was dancing on the tables, it was awesome. And, uh, one thing I say about this place is the food is unreal, yeah, it's like going lovely, around. Yeah. There's like all, all the fast food is just like brilliant. There's so many good brands here, yeah, and like I've not eaten a single bad thing so far. And I've literally grazed around the <laughs> whole place, um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And tonight, I'm going, I'm going proper down dancing with glitter proper and dancing everything. I like that
1: yeah. 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 yeah so going raving in the forest I, I am, in the valley. Yeah. good, good, good. Um, are there any particular food outlets that you want to go visit while you're here that you've uh, uh, spied
2: yeah I, well I had um, I had some bao buns on the first night nice. and they were absolutely delicious um, and oh Patty and bun I love their uh, yeah, I love so their good. burgers they, they saved like, me last
1: year when they're I like had one. so tasty yeah.
2: so yesterday we were um We'd, we'd, we'd come in at seven o'clock we were cracking on trying to do all the prep and then mm. we'd done two sit sit-ins of food and all of a sudden we looked around and we're like it's going really well but we haven't eaten a single thing yeah. today it's like <laughs> yeah. four o'clock in the afternoon we're going to four we've got eight burgers came in from party and, Boom, nice. and Oh, we were set up a, l- a little tin of beer and we were like on the way for the <laughs> last, <to> last <laughs> sitting so yeah. yeah so many great things I need to get round the ball
1: yeah fantastic have you got any tips for any uh, festival goers next year if they come to Wilderness what they should check out and see
2: well, do you know, yesterday, I mean, the, the chef's table, I think there's four days of it, and there's 100 tickets a day, roughly. Mm. So, I mean, it's not like 400 people out of 30,000, so yeah. it's very exclusive. And all day long yesterday, people were just coming up and, saying, it, yeah, yeah. and saying, like, oh, can we come in? Can we come in? Like, it's already pre-booked. So, I think getting in there early, because yeah. I thought I would just turn up and do things that. I was thinking, oh, Sunday morning, I might have a massage. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I, th- I think the biggest tip is, when you buy your tickets, book, book the things that you want to do as well. Cause yeah. There's so much going on. Like You don't need to things but if you want to come and eat at the chef's table or you want to get a treatment or something yeah. some of the nicer more luxurious things to the yeah, festival yeah. then I would book that early
1: love that and uh tell me about the next kind of 10 11 years at the restaurant what are your plans do you have a, a plan or goal or an evolution of where you're going to go to
2: oh my god I don't know <laughs> what I'm gonna do in the next 10 11 days um well the restaurant, I just want to keep progressing it um yeah. you know I love it and I feel like i'm so passionate about it. i feel like we could we could do so much more there i'm writing a book yes uh, so that comes out next year okay uh, how's that going quite well actually it's a yeah. learning curve i mean yeah. I, I left school at 16 and i wasn't particularly academic then so yeah. so writing has been interesting yeah. <laughs> um but no it's going really really well okay. the photos are great at least amazing
1: um, <laughs> i'm pretty uh, sure the recipes will be good too how are you managing to fit that in around working in the kitchen as um, well
2: We just work really hard.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, No, uh, I've got Nick, who's my development chef with me for years, and between us, we've been like every spare hour we've been editing and we've been uh, testing recipes and everything. So it's been great. And then uh, hopefully looking to next year, we might be opening a new site. That's something That's we're... That's uh, exciting. It's something that we've been wanting to do for quite a long time. It's just finding exactly the right place and that, that would be in York. In
1: York, okay. So and will it be the same kind of vibe or different direction? Oh, no, wow, okay. No,
2: totally, yeah, very, very casual. Okay. Um, it's something like, I've done uh, quite a lot of television now and you yeah. do things like Great British Menu. Such a massive audience, but actually, only a small part of the audience probably wants to come and eat and you find down in your fine dining restaurant. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of felt like I love my restaurant, and now I'd always do that, but i kind of like to do something slightly casual just to feed more people, you know?
1: Yeah, I really like that. Okay, cool. And tell me about Great British Menu. How was that for
2: you? Oh, Great British Menu was great. I mean, so I've it two years in a row. Um, yeah it absolutely takes over your life yeah Uh, but it's amazing amazingly satisfying and and to have the opportunities as well I've cooked in the Palace of Westminster Uh, I've wandered around the House of Lords and like I even had a little sit on one of the seats (laughs) you're not even allowed in the House of Lords unless you're a lord like you're a lord um, for the day and then like Wimbledon that was amazing yeah Uh, you know you get to go in the Royal Box you do all these amazing things like (laughs) you kind of like feel quite lucky to be able to do these things so yeah. it's, it's an amazing opportunity any chef in this? get yourself signed up if you can and do that do that show because it's it's an amazing platform for your career as well
1: amazing and so what else should we look out for Tommy what have you got planned for the next year are you going to be on any more TV or yeah. just busy with a book and the restaurant
2: uh, well the book's coming out next year very busy with the restaurant there is bits of TV going forward uh Filmed a few little bits of things, which I'm quite sorry about. Yeah. Quite cool, but I can't really talk about now. Rubbish. But, uh, <laughs> a few. I've got a few little appearances coming up, which are quite good fun. And okay. That's amazing about TV. It's never like, oh, let's just um, film you making a recipe in like your house. And it's like. Do you fancy coming along to this amazing venue and uh, like cooking some ridiculous food in a stupid place? Like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> awesome. So, so now I've got a couple of things coming out this sort of autumn, which are gonna really, be really good fun.
1: Brilliant. All right. Well, I'm gonna leave you to it. Enjoy the festival. Yeah, you get, too. Get drinking beer and go raving.
2: I will do. All, All right. Cheers, Tommy. Thank you. you. bye Bye.
1: Big thank you to Tommy and the incredible Wilderness Festival gang for having us. If you like the sound of Tommy's cooking, don't forget you can make his dinner party recipes over at olivemagazine.com. Next, here's Food Director Janine as she explores the wondrous souschef.co.uk.
3: So I've come to souschef.co.uk today, which is an online cooking emporium. Um, It's actually an Aladdin's cave and of ingredients, and I'm here with Nicola Lando who's one of the owners of Sous Chef. Um, hi, Nicola, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Our readers might know about Sous Chef because we we recommend it quite a lot. Uh, we started using it when it first started about five years ago. Um, whenever there's an unusual ingredient, I always just say to Adam or Kuku writer, go on Sous Chef, they'll have it, because um, you really do cover so much stuff. Like Tell tell us how you got started. Tell us
0: about the idea behind it. Um- I was working in venture capital um, with lots of people who'd started their own businesses and they were so passionate and excited about growing them. Um, and that passion really rubbed off onto me. And so I thought that's that's something I'd like to do. Um, but I hadn't really got any idea of exactly what it was going to be at that point. I spent a lot of time reading um, about startups in America. Um, I spent a long time thinking no, you can't go into food because <laughs> I loved cooking and I kind of was reading all the time cookbooks and cookery magazines. Um, but I kind of thought, you know, that's your passion. You, you shouldn't do something that, you know. Oh, really? That's that. interesting because a lot of people do it because it's their passion. Yes, I know. But I kind of thought at the time I thought, oh, you know, work should be work and, and <laughs> hobby should be hobby. Um, but actually, eventually that, that kind of came a little closer um, and it was food that I was really interested in. And so to learn more about the industry, I went to work at or kind of Gautier restaurant in Soho, which is a great French restaurant. They were kind enough to have me come and work in the kitchen um, for about three or four months. And whilst I was there, I saw just the most amazing range of ingredients and what what those could change or how they could change dishes and what they could do to your cooking. Um, and most of them weren't available to home cooks. Yeah, And I'd been seeing some of those things in the types of cookbooks that I was reading at the time. So lots of the Michelin star restaurants that used different ingredients from around the world. So something might use something from Korea, from yeah. Japan, um, from lots of the kind of patisserie ingredients from France. And just as a home cook, I couldn't find them in one place. And actually, many of them I couldn't find at all. So lots of the patisserie ingredients would only be available in maybe five kilo tubs. Yeah, like a, sort of chef chef sizes, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like pistachio paste. I mean, yeah. you couldn't get that in, in yeah. small pots at the time. And I thought, you know, maybe if I could make those available to people, there might be um, the opportunity for a website that actually brings all of those mm. different ingredients together.
3: I mean, it was a brilliant idea because I remember when it launched and we were thrilled because we do a lot of chef recipes and of course they'll throw in these ingredients like pistachio paste mm-hmm. um, and and you, you were like, where the heck do we get it? And we would have to go and kind of get it off them and then, you know... <laughs> Try it with that, and then recommend. And, and, and yet we sort of tied ourselves up in knots. A lot of the time, we had to sort of reject recipes because we literally couldn't get the ingredients, I and mean, we knew our readers wouldn't be able to get it. So, oh. so it's great that you managed to bring it down to yeah. you know home home sort of level. I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> so, how many lines have you got? How many products do you? Um,
0: we're getting on for four thousand now. Yeah, which is incredible. As well, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, it's interesting that. Actually, the website, when we first started, I didn't think it looked that different. And we started with only about 500 ingredients. Yeah. Um, and since then, we've just been adding, we started with probably a similar number of cuisines. We've probably yeah. added a few more, um, but we've just been adding a lot more different things to each of those cuisines. So we started off with the basics that you'd need to mm. start cooking. And how did you get the me- how did you get the message out there that you were there? I mean, what? What sort
3: of pickup did you get at the beginning? Did you have a moment where you thought, "Oh my God, no one's going to know we're here or order
0: anything or um, pretty much pretty much the the moment we opened the website to the to customers and who sat there kind of nervous yeah. thinking, is anyone actually going to shop here and then you know, within minutes, an order for ravioli stamps, I think, came through. Oh, really? From someone we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not your mum. Mum. No, she was probably an hour later. Yeah. Um, but no, and that's that was great. And also just, I think other um, or, you know, recipe writers, um, magazines yeah. such as Olive, which yeah. was great, um, really picked up on it. I think other people, lots of people had the similar similar problems mm. um, to you finding finding those types of ingredients yeah and so I think the magazines just really helped get the word out about us
3: yeah I mean because you were doing us a massive favor as well <laughs> so suddenly also the other thing was I think in the past you would you would have a, a feature and you know like I say a Japanese feature and you would have to send people to five different websites because not every website sold the whole range of ingredients mm-hmm. I think that's where you came in quite well where you kind of had the you know you would you would Think about the whole cuisine and what Mm. you needed to put stuff together and like offer everything that people would need need to cook that. So that's interesting. It's good. Yeah, that's Um, what we tried to do. So tell us how you because I'm I'm baffled about you know um, how do you choose what you add onto your your little roster of ingredients because it must there's so much stuff out there. I mean, how do you decide what you know what to bring in and what to start selling
0: Uh, to start with? (laughs) I. I basically just picked a lot of cookbooks. Okay. And so I'd pick two or three of um, probably the um, most well-known Bibles from each different cuisine. Um, I opened up a big Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> read to, I've started the business with my husband, Nick. So one of us would read through the book saying, spotting the unusual ingredients. Okay. And so then we'd make a tally of how many times each of those ingredients were mentioned in each of the cookbooks. Oh, God, that's, um, that's And brilliant. then the ones with the you know, greatest number of... Um, marks on the page um, I'd have to find and the ones with smaller numbers then I'd um, you know always think about and probably add to the list for later but that at least meant that someone if they bought a Japanese cookbook could Try most of the recipes yeah. with the ingredients we were stocking.
3: So um, you, so you were literally thinking this, that you can't cook authentic Japanese without using this, like yeah, I don't, without you know these eight ingredients yeah. in every
0: recipe. Yeah, and so that's we have to have those, um, and then these ones will enhance a few recipes. So maybe we can bring mm. those on in a few months. Um, and we still we still go through that process as new cookbooks come out. Yeah, um, as different cuisines come to the fore more. Mm. Um, although now I think it's shifted a little bit from. know, what people know they need because other people would have been reading those cookbooks at the time and looking for those ingredients and not necessarily finding them to things that we also think are delicious Mm. um, and think people should try. And now I think we've got a big enough audience or kind of lots of people are coming to the site looking for things that they don't necessarily know they want but might also be really tasty. But how do you, because I know
3: we talked about pistachio paste and we're actually Mm -hmm. using it in our September issue, which is out now. Um, How, for example, do you you start selling something like fennel pollen which we which a, which is chef randomly put in a recipe <laughs> and we sort of we said it optional but you can get it at sous chef I mean where where would that come from
0: um something like fennel pollen I think I'd maybe read in a couple of recipes but also at the time one of our suppliers um who specifically sells Calabrian produce um, oh, okay. said you know how about you try this and I'm oh, okay like, great, so, so this they'll is send really you
3: one. samples yeah. and yeah
0: so it's a mixture of i go to lots of trade fairs around the world right yeah um, look at kind of always walk around a supermarket every time I go yeah. travelling. Um, and also find yeah. delis or particular specialist food stores.
3: That's one of my favourite things to do. My husband thinks I'm really weird. It's because, great, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Any, superma- any non-British supermarket yeah. is exciting.
3: I was in Thailand the other week and the first thing I said was, can we can we go and find a supermarket? Because I just want to see one. they looking at me like I was insane. Um, yeah. But it's so much fun and you just kind of, you're like picking up packs, like what's this? Buying yeah. it so
0: you can take it home and try it. It's yeah. fun, isn't it? It's funny now i um, now that I go to supermarkets in different countries, particularly um, Korea, when I went a couple of years ago, it was just amazing suddenly recognising all of these ingredients because yeah. we had them on the shelves yeah, at Sue of course. Yeah. Um, so that was fun.
3: Okay. And um, do you, so do you eat out a lot? I mean, do you eat a lot of like... Because I, I think a lot of your ingredients as well are, are things that, you know, I've seen popping up on chefs' menus and then they... So do you get inspiration from from that end as well? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think chefs certainly lead to trends a lot yeah. in cooking um they'll they'll be the first people to discover a new ingredient and try it and partly because they're eating and traveling as well um their suppliers will also pick up something and say do you get chefs ordering
3: from you too or do they yeah we do it's probably about
0: 20 to 30 percent chefs now wow
3: yeah
0: and do they request stuff
3: from you or like ask you to get stuff in for them
0: yes um yeah they do
3: yeah that's cool so they're kind of driving it a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So let's talk about some of the best sellers. What sort of things um are really flying off the shelves at the minute, yeah. do you think?
0: Um I was just looking at some of our sales data. Um over the last year, I think you know, smoking is still huge. Yeah. It's massive, um, isn't it? Home smoking, hot smoking, American yeah. barbecue, um hot smokers. Yeah. Know, so you can do it at home, things like barbecue rubs, um yeah. liquid smoke. So you can get those smoky flavors. It's just um, kind of people smouldering wood and then condensing yeah. that smoke into water. Yeah. It's basically smoky water um, that you can marinate things in. Um, and cold smoking as well. Okay. Nadia um, Nadia's cookery. I think it's British cookery program. Oh yeah, that's right. Last yeah, of weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she was cold smoking. I think some haddock. And cold smoking's just been really popular you and that will grow yeah. again in winter.
3: Because you sell kit as well, don't you? Yeah, we you do. Know? I we have a lot didn't of say that. It's well not, not, just, not just the ingredients you've got cook yeah. away.
0: Um, Mexican foods. Um, oh, yeah, that's really become big. really yeah. huge, hasn't it? I think it? partly you know everyone loves chilli, yeah. those smoky flavours, chipotle chilli, chipotle and adobo. Um, people are cooking a lot more mexican food
3: i think as well it's the authenticity thing that we were mm-hmm. talking about before we started which is everyone kind of knows tex-mex but yeah. then you know with things like oaxaca becoming popular um people started wanting to get seven different types of chili like the yeah. really authentic stuff and start cooking it yeah. sort of from scratch
0: so yeah. and also yeah. experiment with it. i yeah. saw in your last issue the august issue you had buffalo wing sauce with um smacked cucumber oh yeah 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 that's one of adam's crazy it's really
3: it really works yeah Yeah, it was one of his mad ideas that he came up with sort of taking a smack cucumber and then adding buffalo wing and sour cream to it and it's honestly it's like is like flavor explosion (laughs) and
0: and quite simple yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it is (laughs) yeah yeah, um, Korean food's still really big. Yeah, um, and I think I think partly because the flavours are so different to mm. what we have here, but also it's a cuisine where you don't have to use very many different ingredients. Yeah. Um. So as long as you've got gochujang, you know the yeah. spicy, sweet, hot pepper paste, um, some soy sauce and some sesame oil, then pretty much you can get you started. can replicate that. Yeah.
3: Those flavours. Yeah. yeah. I think um, Korean's one thing that's really taken hold. I mean, the fact that supermarkets are now selling it. Yeah is is a huge testament to the fact that it's, be, you know, it's kind of the new tie or whatever. But it, it bubbled under for a while and then suddenly everyone started mm-hmm. doing it. But I think, again, it's because those flavours are, they're kind of approachable as well. Like it's nothing, it, it's yeah. nothing on you. You can sort of, all the flavour profiles, mm-hmm. it's different to what you've had before, but there's something similar in it too. Yeah. So you can kind of hook into it. But um, yeah, definitely Korean. So tell us, um, just thinking about the future as well, um, what what sort of trends can you see popping up or is there anything that you think is kind of bubbling under at the minute
0: that um, that was going to take I hold? I Italian food's getting bigger and bigger. I know your current issue's Italian. Yeah. Um, but it really is. I think people are looking more at regional food and thinking well, yeah. about higher quality ingredients as well. So, you know, trading up the pasta a little bit, um, starting to make their own tomato sauces, um, thinking about buying more of the kind of really beautiful... Um, DOP, you know, kind of protected origin um, ingredients yeah. from Italy. Things like fennel pollen that you mentioned yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're starting to sell. I and mean, we've done a lot of sourcing in Italy, Italy this year. But things like a really great pesto with um, Genoa basil. Oh, and that's wow. kind of, um Protected origin as well. Some amazing artichokes from Rome, which is just totally different from the type you get in the UK. because um, we have the long stems on as well when you're eating them.
3: It's interesting because... Um, I think a lot of Italian and Spanish um, producers, they really value, um, you know, like bottled things and jarred things. Mm-hmm. So they don't think of it as kind of like a second yeah. tier ingredient. They think of it as like the first tier ingredient. So they'll do the most beautiful, like, you know, make cherry tomatoes that are kind of um, preserved and bottled, or they'll do yeah. great sauces or they'll do the artichokes that you yeah. mentioned. Um, and it's not, it's not something cheap. It's something to be treasured yeah. and given as a like a gift, or you know, used an, as a special ingredient yeah. or something.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, we find I'm tasting so many high quality ingredients in in tins. You know, the tinned fish as well. Yeah, yeah tinned fish is huge, isn't it? Um, but you know, just jarred things. I mean, I was going to show you some of these beautiful oh, yeah. that we've got um, later. <laughs> but just in the UK, it's a it's a really hard sell selling yeah. preserved preserved vegetables, yeah, cause preserved we, we fish, always preserved kind, meat because yeah. it's the low quality stuff that that we tend to have yeah. preserved um whereas you can get such beautiful flavors um and it'd be
3: great if we can turn the tide on that yes. and make people stop buying that Absolutely. stuff yeah that's
0: brilliant anything else do you think um, Japanese food yeah I think it's still going lots of people start off making sushi um sushi making still really popular for us um but I think more people are kind of then moving from sushi to other types of dishes yeah um, more kind of Japanese home cooking. And that's, as you said, we've got all that amazing Japanese tableware that's just come in. Yeah. And I think mixing and matching crockery um, that you start to see now more, I think people are more interested in kind of individual pieces of ceramic. Yeah. Um, and so in Japan, kind of when you have a set on the table, it's not really a set. It's lots of individual items that yeah. people are mixing together. That's kind of also the way the meal works. Yeah. And I think that we're doing that more here now.
3: That's great.
0: Um, and then chili. I think I'm sure Mexican food's going to keep growing, but not just chilies from Mexico. Um, different chilies from around the world. And okay. Kind of people enjoying those flavour profiles. What, are the, what other places would you be getting chilies from at the minute? Um, we're getting some from Thailand. Okay, cool. Um, we're getting more chilies from China. Um, okay. From, I think, the USA at the moment. Um, certainly India. Kind and of do Kashmiri they all? Kashmiri chilli, Kashmiri pods that you can't really oh, get wow, very much. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, you know, beautiful bright red chilli, but not too hot. Um, we're about to have arrive.
3: And do they always come, do they always come in dried, or do you get them in?
0: Um, most of the chilies we take are dried. Yeah, because I um, guess they've got some a of longer the, shelf life. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we don't do any fresh produce. No. Um, some of the things in tins, like the chipotle adobo. I mean, that's that's mm. tremendously popular, um, which is in a kind of slightly sweet and sauce. Yeah, that's lovely, tomatoes, isn't it? And, and that gives
3: that really kind of authentic smoky flavour yeah,
0: too. Just even stirred through beans, they're instantly amazing.
3: Yeah. Is there anything you've ever got in that's just been an absolute washout in terms of you know you've ordered five thousand of them in and not been able to
0: sell any (laughs) spanish dried beans oh no i think i mean they've got they've got exactly the same problem that you were saying about um things in jars in the uk and i think we just don't value um dried pulses particularly we
3: don't at all and they're so good but i Mm -hmm. think it's i think people just think it's the time involved and then there's this Mm -hmm. weird thing of you Know if you don't cook them properly, they're going to poison me. Yeah. People have got all these preconceptions, yeah. which is a shame because the good quality ones are incredible, yeah. aren't they? Yeah,
0: so you've got Because we st- think of them as such yeah. as really cheap food, and they are. You know, even if you're spending instead of two pounds a bag, you're spending five pounds a bag, yeah, that still is you know 20 dinners, yeah. Um, and so it's it's not very expensive, but no. you know, trading up is, I think, you know, unless you've actually tried them and eaten them somewhere, it's it's a pretty hard sell. So you've got a big Big pile of beans. No, somewhere. no, we sold we through them, but we didn't. We didn't reorder, which makes me sad. Oh, I think no. now. I think. I think that was when we started. It's about. Probably about three or four years ago. Yeah, um, and I'm tempted to bring them on again. I think I think the time yeah, might have changed it. a little bit.
3: Start yeah. here, okay? Everybody, go out, buy these beans, mm-hmm. make a lovely cassoulet or something. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted. I must say. But it's good that it's kind of that learning process as well, well, where you're you're allowed to bring something in, buy it, try it. You know, if 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 it's not selling great, then you can try something else yeah. as well. Because as you said, if if you're not shifting fresh produce, it can't it can sit on the shelf mm-hmm. for a little while. And you've got a little bit more time to like get people used to it. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, yeah. but yeah. Thank you so much for chatting to us today. It's been fascinating. A I'm now going to have a tour around the Aladdin's Cave. whole <laughs> way! i was so excited. Um, but yeah, thank you, Nicola.
1: Thank you. And finally, here's travel editor Rhiannon on why camping in vineyards is the future.
4: Hello, I'm Alex, and I'm in the office today with Rhiannon, who's come over from Bath, and she's our travel editor, and she's going to chat to us about camping. Are you going to talk to us about <laughs> camping?
5: <laughs> euro camping. That's right, euro camping. What is euro camping? So, euro, euro camp... camp um, A lot of people might know it. Some people might have never heard about it, depending on whether or not you've got children, probably. uh, I'm making an assumption there. But it's a camping company, basically, that operates across various European campsites. And it's really popular with families. You can stay in a standard tent if you want to take your own, or you can rent a mobile home or a cabin, or they have some really nice safari tents ready, um, you know, ready erected that you can stay in. And... um, I used to have holidays like that when we were little. I remember going with my mum and dad, but I haven't been on one for about 30 years. Um, and then when now that I've got two boys, it's like it's one of the most perfect ways to holiday, really, because, um, the you know, the boys love it because the sites are full of other kids to make friends with. And there's usually a big swimming pool and a play park and a trampoline. And that just keeps the children happy and therefore their parents are happy. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. But if you don't have children, you probably would probably, you know, not be your um, first thought. Okay, yeah. So, where, where was it that you went? Well, the site we went to was called Domaine de Massaro and it was just outside a small town called Somier in the Gard department, which is in Occitanie uh, to the far south of France. It was quite a long drive. Um, we wanted to take quite a lot of kit with us, so we did an overnight sailing with Brittany Ferries we took our own car and then drove down um, but with Eurocamp they let you do this thing where you can break your journey so we stayed on the way down and on the way back in the Dordogne at one, two of their other sites oh, actually okay.
4: which was really nice it was like a little extra holiday Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah connecting or and not? Yeah, making it like the journey's part of the the fun as well isn't it exactly so did you like I can like camping for me it's like um the only thing is the the food you can either get really great cooking and that you have to take a chef with you well obviously (laughs) not a professional chef but um did you do your own cooking or is the facilities on you know site to do your own Um, cooking
5: that's they're really interesting the sites are all a bit different I mean in general yes and that that's you know, with a family, that's quite good to have that flexibility. And there's usually a small shop on each campsite. And in France, um, the one we went to, you know, had lovely fruit and veg and always fresh bread and croissants in the morning. Um, but um, some of the sites have really nice restaurants and or pizza pop-ups. And there was one that we stopped off on on the way back that had little um, like street food uh Fans coming in oh, every great. different ones every How night. You know, Monday was pizza night, Tuesday was Thai night. Um, but also, the, where we stayed was this area where they had just these lovely roadside stalls of um, melons and nectarines and courgettes that were grown in fields right behind the stalls, and you could just stop oh. and buy three melons for two euros or something. Oh, that's so you know, it's so it's, lovely, it's no, it's so idyllic, isn't,
4: isn't it? <laughs> nice.
5: um, and also, we chose that site because. I was looking for somewhere that was a bit foodie, really. Um, so it has a restaurant on site that was surprisingly good for a campsite restaurant. Um, if anyone saw my pictures of the seafood, seafood platter that we had there on Instagram, they'll know what I mean. It was an amazing plate piled high with langoustine and razor clams and crabs and all sorts. And they, they also had a wood-fired pizza place there, but we, we didn't try that. But I'm sure they were delicious too.
4: Yeah, so I saw that. I saw those pictures of the seafood platter, and I also saw some pictures of some wine. So I know, <laughs> even though you were with your kids, you managed to get that in there. But.
5: That's true. Yes, another big selling point was the fact that the campsite was on a vineyard, which Fab. produces thirty thousand bottles of wine a year. And I didn't drink all of them. I promise. Um, if you're staying at the campsite you can join a free tour which it's a very short tour, just an hour long but it was really interesting and nice to see where the wine comes from um, and you can also buy the wines afterwards, very reasonably priced. Um, the, the, that vineyard produces reds, whites and rosés and their basic table wines were really good. Um, but they also had these lovely AOP wines, which the two that I really liked one was a white called La Capitelle, which was made with Roussanne and Vermentino grapes that was really honeyish and peachy. And then there was a red, La Tourie, which is their kind of best wine, probably, and had this deliciously smoky blend of Syrah and Grenache with hints of chocolate and vanilla. Um, And I'm now wishing that I'd bought a few more bottles
4: (laughs) when I was there. Yeah, bring it back in the car. That's the benefit of not flying, (laughs) isn't it? So what else did you do while you were there? Were you up to other foodie bits or...? Yes, um, we
5: did... We had a few day trips to the beach at La Grande Grande Motte, which was about half an hour's drive away through the Camargue. So, you know, passing those classic white horses and lots of water. It was beautiful. And... um, but we mainly just hired bikes and pedalled into Sommier to eat and drink and wander through the market. Um, there was a really a great wide cycle path running past the campsite into town. So it was a really pleasant way to get there and back. Yeah. And um, because it was so hot and the path was lined with herbs, it just smelled really oh, nice as great. well. Um, and Sommier is really... Pretty. Lawrence Durrell lived there for 30 years. I, I didn't know that before we went. And um, but apparently he said it was the prettiest place he'd ever seen, and you could ah. you could believe ah. it. It's very classically French. It's beautiful stone houses, little tiny streets, um, shuttered buildings, little arched alleyways from the river. This kind of little network from the river to the two main market squares and. Um, and the markets are on twice a week there and are just your classic French market with great fruit and veg in all different shapes and sizes and colors and um, some really nice little producers one woman was just selling blueberries and you could buy them just in tubs or as blueberry jam and blueberry tarts. Oh, wow.
4: And um, my kind of thing. It was
5: very nice. And there was a stall that I also put some pictures on Instagram of, of these lovely, um, a woman who made homemade jams and liqueurs and flavoured caramels. I hadn't come across so many flavoured caramels before and she had these lovely pastel coloured labels, but they had things like... They were flavoured with things like rosemary and lavender and licorice.
4: Oh, wow. Really interesting really flavours. They'd be nice for like little souvenirs and gifts for people at home really as well. Really nice,
5: yes. Um, oh, and they also, the other big discovery at that market was um, a sweet fougasse, which had a kind of crunchy sugar topping and was flavoured with orange flower water. Ah. And I've never had fougasse like that.
4: I'd always had a
5: savoury version. Yeah. So that was a real discovery
4: lovely and what about um cause I know there's so many gorgeous like mar- markets in France but like this I can imagine there's lots of nice little cafes and restaurants as well did you try many of those or um
5: well I have to confess that we didn't try as many as I was planning because our I'd kind of forgotten that our boys are still so little and they need to eat before six o'clock and most oh, of, of the course. restaurants don't open till half past seven so it was just a bit too late really um and it was the, the kind of the ones that I really wanted to try were the ones that opened later the, the very French ones so or local ones but we still had some really nice meals but just not what I had expected so we went to one evening we went to a tapas place called Alegria where we had really good gambas um, and another evening, we had, actually, we had really lovely wood-fired pizzas at a place sitting out in sunshine under olive trees in this little Aww. courtyard called La Bisture. And, um, and opposite there was a lovely chocolate shop, like something from Chocolat. Aww, and um, the boys, like, next door to that was this uh, artisan frozen yogurt Stall where this, uh, they would kind of whiz up whichever fruit you wanted with the frozen yogurt. It's custom, you know, you chose, you, you, it, it was plain frozen yogurt, and you would say, I'd like the fig or I'd like the cherry, and then they'd whiz the fruit up with it. Oh, wow.
4: It was, so a bit like, well, a nice way to get you, one of your five a day, I can imagine.
5: <laughs> Put a healthy spin on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
4: Any, any other discoveries? While there? Well, not exactly a discovery,
5: but there is something I came across that I really want to try now. Um, it was at the place called La Bisture, and I'd seen these lovely bottles with very cute labels and, that, and saying La Marquisette, and I'd never heard of that before. Um, and, and I asked about it, and it was a ready mixed drink of a classic drink that they serve across southwest France at village fairs apparently and it's made with lemons and cremante and white wine and soda, Mm. a bit of sugar I think and it sounds delicious but because it's something that they don't tend to make to order, they you know, they, they make it in villages for events and things it's quite hard to track down and I didn't, I didn't manage to so if anyone listening has a good rep- recipe for yeah. it let me know because I think I'd like to try making, it, making some up yeah let,
4: let us know on, on our social media channels if you, if you know it's, we're at Olive Magazine on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook So, and also on Pinterest so yeah let us know if you know any Marquisette recipes well thank you Rhiannon and <laughs> yeah I'm looking forward to reading about this uh, in full on the website as well Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Thank you to everyone who took part in today's podcast and if you like what you heard and why wouldn't you please remember to review and rate us and subscribe over at iTunes it helps us get higher in the charts and that means even more foodies just like you get to hear us remember you can buy an actual copy of Olive Magazine proper in all good supermarkets and newsagents right now this week we have the new issue out featuring Vietnamese barbecue pistachio and white chocolate soufflés Germany's secret foodie island and the new must visit UK restaurants plus you can head to olivemagazine.com and get chatting to us about all things food, drink and travel over at Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, at Olive Magazine. Until next time, dear listeners, happy eating, happy cooking and happy travelling.